So you may have been hearing me talk recently about my new course, Scale Your Way. I released it earlier this year in 2024. And if you have not gone through the course individually or inside of my community, Web Designer Pro, you are in luck because I have distilled some of the most important topics and highlights in that course into a free masterclass for you. And it is going to help you and give you the clear roadmap in order to build and scale up your web design business in a way that works for you. So you can get access to the entire free training at joshhall.co slash scale. Again, it is completely free. It's 50 minutes plus. It is basically a coaching session on scaling that you and I can have together. And I'm going to share with you the top tips, many of which are pulled from the course and it'll give you the roadmap to be able to scale up your business your way. Pick it up today for free at joshhall.co slash scale. You know, my, my rough estimate, I would say to really take all this legal stuff seriously is when you're making like, if I were to say, if you're making like a consistent income of $5,000 a month, you need to start thinking about all this legal stuff much more seriously. Um, and so for, I think for a lot of people that could be a year in, that could be two years in, like, I don't know exactly where that falls, but like, those are general benchmarks to think about, um, of trying to think about whether you need to set up an LLC, whether you need to really look at your taxes, like, um, having a good trust and estates and wills plan in case anything happens, like, you know, it's something to think about. Welcome to the Web Design Business Podcast with your host, Josh Hall, helping you build a web design business that gives you freedom and a lifestyle you love. Well, hello, friend. Welcome to the show. In this episode of the Web Design Business Podcast, we're going to be taking a deep dive into the legal side of web design. And I actually have a first for the podcast, which is we are bringing for the first time ever a real life lawyer onto the podcast. And I don't know what your experience has been uh, in your life experience to this point with lawyers, but all I'll say is my favorite movie of all time is Jurassic Park. And in the beginning of that movie, you might remember, John Hammond says, I don't typically care much for lawyers. Do you? And if that's certainly how I felt up until the point that I met Anne. Anne is incredible for a lot of reasons, but she is, in short, a lawyer web designer. And I've never met somebody who has been in law and is a lawyer, but is also a creative and in the web design space. So needless to say, to have her on the web design business podcast for this episode is an honor. And I've actually got to know Anne pretty well. She's been a member of my web design community, Web Designer Pro, for a long time now. And as I've got to know her business, I just realized, my gosh, she is just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the legal side of web design for things like contracts, copyrights, and a lot of that we're going to dive into in more detail. We'll get into here uh, the contracts that you need to have in place to protect both you and your clients with your working relationships. We will get further into um, copyrights. We'll, we, in this conversation, we really have a pretty wide-ranging approach to all the legal side of web design, but we'll get into a little bit of tax setups and make sure you're protected. Uh, so a lot of good stuff we cover here. But I think overall, I do not want this title to scare you because I actually left this conversation feeling very light and empowered and has a great approach to the legal side of web design, which is in short, just get your business going and the legal side will come into play as needed as you as your business grows and as you need more protection and stuff like that. So I'm excited to hear what you think about this episode. Now you can connect with Anne at her website, powerhouse-legal.com. 
And we do cover a lot of resources in this one. So I'm going to recommend that you go to the show notes for this episode after you listen to it at joshhall.co slash 254. And we'll have all the resources that we mentioned here over uh, in the post for this episode. And before I bring Anne on, I do need to issue an official disclaimer, which is this. Anne is discussing legal topics on this podcast, but this isn't considered legal advice. And she is not your lawyer until you sign a legal agreement with her. So there's a disclaimer. We are talking legal stuff, but she is not your lawyer until you hire her when you visit her at powerhouse-legal.com. And for now, without further ado, here is Anne. Let's talk the legal side of web design and let's have some fun. And it is so great to have you on the podcast officially. It's funny because I was thinking about this. I dread talking about legal stuff. This is the kind of thing that just wears <laughs> wears me down in business, but I'm actually quite excited. This is the so I said it to say okay. it's the first time I'm excited to talk legal. So thank you for taking some and time thank to chat you. today. And that is what I want everyone I work with to walk away being like, I am not scared to call you. I don't dread calling you. I'd rather call you with a quick question and clarify it so you never have to call me for like a scary question. And I had that same experience with my CPA. She used to be in my networking group and she's just awesome. She may, and same with my financial advisor who was in my networking group uh, subsequently as well. They are both just awesome people who simplify things and make things relatable and understandable. And I, I get that vibe from you as well. So I think your experience in, in law and in web design and, and legal stuff, I think is really good to translate. I'm actually really curious. And are you a, are you a lawyer? I mean, is is that in your title, or were you previously a lawyer? Oh, like, yeah. did, no, and the question I am is, a lawyer. you are a lawyer. Did you? Are you a lawyer who does web design, or were you a web designer who became a lawyer? Okay, so here's what happened. Like, I did all the legal stuff. I spent ten years being a lawyer. I went to law school. I went to a top law school. I went to a top law firm. I worked with the Department of Justice. I did all of these things, and then I was like, something. It just wasn't like I was like, I'm not excited about work. And so I took some time off and I was like, okay, well, what else could I do? It was like pandemic. I was like trying to figure out like what, how, what, what was my next move? And so I was like, okay, I just need to take a break. And I have this idea that I want to pursue. And then I started doing it and it's been really, really fun. And I was like, oh man, I really like this. But then I kept being like, oh, there's like, I'm not seeing a lot of good legal advice and this is kind of frustrating. And I was like, and then people kept, I was in Facebook groups and people kept asking me legal questions about fonts. And I was like, okay, I guess I can answer these font questions. Like, uh, and then I was like, oh, I wonder if there's a market here for someone like me who like knows the law, but also is really interested in design and supporting small businesses to be able to provide my expertise to this community that I'm like really interested and enthusiastic about. So that's the story. And you, are, you are such a unicorn. Like, so I've been in this industry for nearly 14 years now since I got into web in like late 2009. I have never met somebody who is in the web design side of things and the creative like creative side of things and is also a lawyer. Generally, and you the reason I say you're a unicorn yeah. is I think maybe the way your mind works is probably unique in the sense of most lawyers 
can't design for shit, basically. You know what I mean? And I'm sure you've seen that in in your industry. And most creatives really struggle with the numbers and the books and my gosh, the law stuff and legal stuff. I I don't even, I didn't know where to start. So yeah, yeah, I think, I think maybe a great place to start. I I love that you laid the context there because we know you are in web design and you love the industry. I've seen you come a long way, even since you've been a part of web designer pro. Yeah. Um, but your background in law is fascinating. Like, I, I guess one of the, the the initial questions I have is like, if somebody is going to start a business, because we're probably going to talk to people who are starting a business and then who have a business and need to sure some things up. But what are what's the basics? Like, what are the things that we need to do to cover our butts basically when we start? Well, you're super in luck. Uh, you don't need much. Um, uh, being a web designer, I think it's a pretty low risk business and therefore you don't have a lot of like upfront legal investment. So it should be pretty simple and should be pretty cheap to get started. Um, you, the number one thing. Okay. So there's sort of two things I want everyone in this audience to understand to take away. Um, one is have a good contract in place. I can't emphasize that enough, um, both for your own project management, just to be like, this is exactly what I'm providing. This is what you're providing. This is what I'm not providing. This is the deadlines. This is how much you're paying. This is how we're doing payment, like all of those details to get ironed out. And second, to protect you in case anything goes wrong. So definitely, definitely have a contract in place. And the second thing I want everyone to know is to understand copyright laws, how important that is to being a web designer and making sure you don't get sued and your client doesn't get sued. So let's start with the copyright laws because I'm not quite mm. sure what that entails. Does that entail like images like uh, Sam and Web Designer Pro just asked this last night because you posted in there asking for if anyone had questions. Uh, and I think separately he had mentioned that uh, he's one of our new members who said he he has a client worried about being sued for images. Um, so is that in the bucket like that kind of thing in the bucket of copyright? Yeah. Exactly. What I mean by copyright is don't use any images that you don't have authority to use. So I think in that instance, he was talking about um, having model releases, so using pictures of customers, but without having them sign releases. Mm-hmm. And that's a big no, no. Like definitely, definitely have them sign release. If you're going to take pictures of, of customers and have them on your website, make sure they sign off and be included in your marketing materials. Um and then, then it comes down to like, okay, are you like, I, I saw this example of someone online saying that they, they were building a website template to sell, um, and they wanted to use a picture from Glossier in the template. And I, and that scared the crap out of me because I'm like, mm. Glossier is a major company. I'm pretty sure that everything that they do is copyrighted and trademarked and like using an image of, from theirs on your website without their, uh, permission is a classic example of copyright infringement. Um, and so that's the kind of thing that I want everyone to like be weary of. Do not use images that you don't have the right to use and do, or that, not just images, but like fonts, for example, that's like another thing that people mm, like yeah. don't just download a font online, like make sure you have the license to use it because if you don't, you could be sued for copyright infringement. And now like themes like Divi that have hundreds of fonts in them, those are all vetted, right? Like if a theme builder is going to put them in their system, I would imagine as the user we're covered just because the company's already done the work of making sure it's something that can be shared for everybody. Totally. That's, that is a, Great point. And in those kind of instances, the company's already done all the legal work for you. You don't need to do anything in those instances. I'm talking about people like who want to, like, they want to use a specific font that's not in the builder and then they want to download it from the internet, import it into Canva and things like that. Don't do things like that. And well, and the images, I think, are, are the big thing. Like, I, 
I never had any legal trouble, although I will, I don't know if I want to admit this publicly because this is not resolved, but I'm going to, we'll see what happens. Uh, my band's third album, I just took an image off of Google and thought it was cool because I had just started doing design. This was back in 2009. And yeah. I was like, oh, this image is cool. And I use that for the cover artwork. Yeah. I that I did not purchase that. It wasn't a commercial license. I just found it. I don't even know where I got it from. And then years later I realized like, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that because <laughs> we sold the album. So hopefully that's water under the bridge at this point. But I I guess that's a good example of when you're ignorant to these type of things, they can come back with a potential lawsuit. And I actually what's funny. At that same time, I was, uh, this shows you how like ignorant I was to the, the legal aspects of things. Literally, I think that same year I was doing some work for the church I was helping out with and I did some video work and I took some music that I had in my library and just put it on these, uh, it was like instrumental music that I had purchased and I put it on this video for church that we had on, uh, Vimeo. And it wasn't that long later that somebody in there, the band's label or organization contacted the church and requested that they come down immediately or lawsuits would, would, uh, would be coming next. And it turns out like a ton of churches were using that instrumental music just cause it was, it was really good. So anyway, just a couple examples of how ignorance classic, comes into classic play. Classic example. Yeah. Josh. Yeah. I wouldn't, you know, don't blame yourself. Like things like that happen. It happens to everyone. And honestly, if you're not a lawyer, how would you know that? Right. That's, it's not exactly common knowledge, I think. And so, which is why I'm here. I'm here to yeah. tell everyone uh, to so, make sure to prevent yourself from getting into these types of situations. So what would the rule of thumb be regardless of whether it's images, fonts, music? Would it just be if you purchase, if you create it, you're good because you own the IP, the intellectual property, yeah. or to make sure if, if you use it, you purchase it from somewhere and purchase a commercial license that says it can yeah. be shared. Is that kind of the rule? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of like, you know, there are a lot of stock photo libraries like Unsplash where you can use images and stuff like that. Like, that's fine. Like, as long as you can use it, just you just have to read the fine print that says like, this is it you can use this for commercial licenses and there are shop photography clubs that you can join, but like you have to pay in order to get the copyright. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little shocked at how unsplash and pexels is one of my favorite P E X E L S. Mm -hmm. Um, those are two of my favorites. I'm a little shocked at, like, I don't know if it's a business model. I don't know how that works exactly. Well, or... it's a freemium business model, right? Like uh, Unsplash, I know, has a bunch of free content you can use, um, but they have also have paid stuff. And their gotcha. upgrade stuff is, quite frankly, pretty expensive. It's like $10 a photo, where I think mm. a lot of like stock photo memberships are like $30 for unlimited photos for a month. So, like, yeah, if you want to download a photo, like, it's, you know, $10 is not that big of a deal, but you don't need just one photo for a website you need like dozens and so right. if you were downloading dozens it quickly adds up um so yeah it depends on what you're going for yeah you just gave me a flashback and, and this actually is one reason in my contract which perfect segue to, to talk about contracts is i stated we could do up to i think i have up to 10 stock images because i just had a monthly unlimited license to i think it was iStock at that point i used a couple different ones um or no, it was stock photo secrets or something like that. It was one of those like stock photo sites, but I just paid the unlimited license fee on my end. And I just had that as a bonus for my clients. I said, if you need stock photos, we can do up to 10. And if you need more, yeah. then we'll buy one off. And we did buy one off on, on some clients, some clients, like I remember a, a very niche uh, construction client, they were doing like construction management and they needed exact pictures. So we found like exact stock photos and each photo was like right. 20 bucks or something. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
So another good lesson, like if, if it, if you isn't, isn't, if it's an upsell, excuse me, for clients, if you have a monthly subscription to something for 30 bucks, that's what a value add for clients. Cause you don't need to nickel and dine them for five to 10 images. Um, so yeah, hopefully that's a good lesson for everybody. Now the contract. So in my business course, I've refined the contract that I had in place and that we've refined over time, especially now to include privacy, terms, disclosures, accessibility. Um, so that's refined over time. Like you said, Anne, one thing I've also updated that in is not only protecting myself, but the client's deliverables, like to make sure we say you have a role in this too, client. If you don't get contact or content, excuse me, within the right amount of time, then these are the reper- repercussions like the project's going to be delayed or there's going to be a penalty or, or a fee or something like that. Um, yeah. What are some of the other key areas and contracts that we need to make sure we have as far as like a, a legal type of thing? Uh, Josh, how much time do we, how yeah. much time we got? <laughs> Listen, I wish I could simplify this, but it's a lot. Like I just drafted a contract for web designers. I'm going to put up for sale soon. Um, but it's like, 14 pages. And I went through and I was like, I wonder what I could cut of this. And there's not much I thought was I could cut. So have you um, looked at mine in the business course? I have not, but oh, uh, we need to fix that. We need to review that. I can't wait. I wish I would have done it before this, but that's all right. Well, uh, uh, yeah, I would love to have you take a look at that because I'm sure there's a lot said, that we can add to. Yeah, I just sent Eric my contract, um, okay. so just so that he has it, and because I wanted to see like what did he, what did you guys use in Enhanced Studios? Um, okay, yeah, he's he's refined it to the services that and some of the stuff that Intransit is doing now that he's overseeing. But the the core and the foundation of what uh, my agency Intransit uses is what I had in place. So. Yeah, uh, which I, you know, that I saw. And so what I liked about it was that it was like very plain language, which is unusual and something mm-hmm. that I, you know, my contracts are all plain language so that everyone can understand. Um, but yeah, it's what needs to go into a contract. Okay. It, it's just very detailed. So let me pull up my little list I made here. And I'm going to pull um, mine up too. Just, uh, just for everyone's sake, I'll just give the highlights of mine. Of course, I'm not going to read the entire thing for this podcast episode, but I do think it's worthwhile from a legal perspective, knowing what you should at least have covered. And honestly, for me, that's essentially, that was my mindset is I just want to make sure we're covered as best yeah. as possible. So essentially I broke, anyone who has listened to this show for a while, you know, I love threes. So my contract is essentially while you're pulling that up and is three phases. And I just, the first phase is getting started and it has all the things, including deliverables, payment, limited liability, hosting, um, review, all that stuff. Phase two is development. Um, so this point of contact and training, there's project management, there's file sharing, project turnaround, response time, delays and project drag on, drag ons. And then there's completions. There's the going live stuff, backups, website security, maintenance, care, warranties, uh, testimonials, which is like a, disc- a release to be able to use testimonials, images, et cetera. So that's a very, very high level look at my contract. Um, but mine is a very basic and simple contract. But uh, the reason I did that is it made clients feel at ease. Quite honestly, I remember, um, yeah. before I turn it over to you, Anne, I had a very robust, uh, template that I took from some web design template shop years ago. And it like scared some clients. Some clients were like, I'm afraid yeah. you're going to sue me, man. Good Lordy. Totally. Uh, and then I learned to try to marry the best of both worlds. So this is what I don't quite, so this is what I I don't quite understand, like why all of these contracts. So here's what happened. Like I had a client, 
I was sending her a contract and I just, I hadn't like written my own contract cause I was like, whatever, I'll just use whatever the system has. I just want to like, I'm, I don't care that much. I'm just going to send this to her. Um, cause once a client like is interested, you want to like turn around a contract really quickly. Um, and so I was just like, I'm just going to send this and I'll figure it out later. Um, and then I read the contract and I was like, Oh, I can't send this. This is going to be like really unfriendly. And what if she doesn't book? And like, you know, I put so much effort into all the messaging to like my website and then to the, to the client call, like all of the stuff. And like, I don't want it to fall apart in the last thing where I send her the contract. Um, and so this is what made me design my own, drop my own contract and to realize that like, oh, I wonder why like other people don't do this, why you don't build a legally robust contract that's also friendly and then you, it's just people can read it and understand. So I just had someone give me feedback on my contract and they said, what I love about this is one, that it's um, designer specific and two, that I'm not afraid that my client is going to get scared off when they see mm. this client, when they see this contract. That's beautiful. So, yeah. That is and kind so, of the, the hard part of contracts. Yeah, yeah. For sure. But it doesn't have to be like, there's no good reason. It's just that like, it's always done a certain way. It's always written in like specific language, but like, there's no really good reason that it has to be written in that language. And I know, um, as I was just scanning mine, I didn't really think about it, but one thing I've realized is my contract is a lot of it is basically FAQs. Like it's yeah, a lot exactly. of what happens if exactly. the client doesn't give content in time? Uh, is there a penalty? What happens if what, the payment schedule? What, like, how are you available for a certain amount of time afterwards? What happened if I don't do your maintenance plan? Uh, it's basically an FAQ section, a lot of it. Yeah. And Josh, I know that you, we, you've talked a lot about on the podcast about like the story brand and the concept that you are the guide for your client. Like it is their story. They're, you're, they're the hero and you're just there to like guide them through. And so the contract is another one of these tools to help you do that, to say, mm. this is exactly what this project is going to consist of. Like you don't know anything about web design. I'm the expert. So let me tell you all of the parts about this in plain language so that you really understand. So you trust me. So you feel like I got this and I'll show you exactly how we're going to end up where we're going to end up. So that's what I love about the contract. Like I know that everyone like demonizes it and they're like, Oh, a contract is so scary. But like what I love about it is because it clearly a lot, it, it puts everything on expectations about like what, you, what the client is going to get. So, so that's what how a, I urge people. I to love that it. approach. What a great challenge to make the contract warm and friendly. Like, you know, you got to cover your, your business and cover your yeah. things, but also make it empowering for the clients because it's also just as much for the client as it is for us. Like they right. want to make sure they're signing off with somebody who is not going to disappear halfway through yeah. a project and then yeah. they're gone, which has happened right. to many a client. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, there's, there's a, the things, the basic things I should think you should have in a contract, just the high level specify what's included and specify what's not included. Your client has mm. no idea about website. They are coming to you because you're the expert. Do they know what a domain is? No, they don't know what a domain is. Do they know what hosting is? No, they don't know what domain hosting is. Like explain everything to them. So they know, Hey, I'm going to build this website for you, but you're in charge of the domain and hosting. You have to purchase it. Like you have to walk them through these things because they're the hero in the story and you're the guide. So you like spell everything out. They don't know any about photos. They're like, okay, well, I just hired you to build the website. So you're just going to build a website. They don't know that they have to provide you content. They don't even know what content is. Like they assume they know nothing. Like if you go to the average person on the street and you're like, what's a website? And they're like, they're really not going to 
be able to explain it, I think. And, yeah. and, you know, to be fair, like, that's not their job. Like, how would they know? So you just have to, like, really specify what is included and what is not. Like, your example for stock photos, great. You specified stock photos. I guarantee you they don't know what stock photos are. Like, so you have to talk break to it down a, for them. Dumb it down to, like, a 10-year-old, right? Like, if you can explain it to a 10-year-old, that should be good for clients. Yeah. And not in like a, oh, they should know this, but they don't kind of condescending way, but just to explain it because it's not their job. If it's not your job, like you're not going to know. Yeah. Great point. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's great. The copywriting, the contract stuff. I mean, that's a, I would imagine that's a bulk of, of the legal stuff. I love that you made that point about what's included and what's not, because then some clients nowadays might wonder about all the extra things like accessibility, um, yep. whatever, whatever the case is, or when it comes to marketing and, and strategy, SEO, for example, yep. I can't tell you how many clients I had before I did some SEO work, they would say, Hey, we launched our site last week. Why aren't I the first on Google? And I'm like, hold on. We didn't even talk about that. And right. like, what term, you know, like what term are you searching? Uh, so that's probably an area that I wish I would have gone back and been a little more clear about with a lot of my clients is the difference between the website build and the design versus like ongoing work, SEO, copy, like all those type of things. So I right. love that point. Um, so, you know, a good contract, there are two sections, really. Um, there's a section that outlines exactly what we talked about, project expectations. I think of it as like project management written out what's included, mm. the, what's the timeline, what's the fees, what happens and what somebody wants to cancel, all of those kind of things. Just the like nuts and bolts of what you'll deliver, when you'll deliver it, and how much it's going to cost, when payments are expected, like all of those. I think of it as like, this is the project management plan. Right. So that's the first phase. The second phase is a lot more about, um, like the legal stuff that you want to cover. For example, making it, uh, putting in a point there that, um, any material that the client gives you, any kind of contact, whether it's fonts, images, whatever is complies with all copyright laws so that mm. it's everything they have right. They have a right to use that. Um, you want to make that like, you know, web designers don't even think about that. So I guarantee you clients aren't thinking about it, but it's a good point to point out to them be like, Hey, I'm going to need like a certain number of images. And like, you're going to have to provide that for me from a source that is legal. Yeah. Cause they would still, in that case, they would be liable, right? Like if they send yeah. you a stock photo that they didn't pay for, they would still be the one at fault, not the web designer hosting the site. Exactly. So that's why like you need legal provisions like that. And you need a provision like uh, it's called a limitation of liability to say, okay, if something goes wrong, if for something like, you know, God for, um, if we make a mistake or something happens, like your liability is limited to whatever the price of the package is. Like they can't come after you for four times that amount or five times or whatever. It's specific to the price of that package. So there's a lot of like legal clauses that also need to go in there. And that's like the second phase of the contract. Okay. And I do want to get into maybe some business entity setups and stuff like that at some point here. Um, I do have a question though, in regards to the contract, because I never customize my contract per project. What I did, because I spent so much time doing that manually, I was like, okay, there's got to be a better way. I don't want to have to do this every project, especially for smaller jobs if they're going to be pretty quick. So what I did is... In 17 hats, I have a workflow to where when I put a proposal together that's based off a template, I just customize it with the project details. That sends to the client. And if they okay that, then that takes them to the contract. Now, my contract is boilerplate as far as like, it's it's the same for every project. However, what I say is I just say, 
uh, instead of like having the project amount and everything in there, I just say, please refer back to the proposal for deliverables project. Uh, maybe too late. I did that for years. Is that okay? Because that made that sure as heck made my life easier to to have a st- a standard template for a contract that I didn't actually go in and customize every time. I always just said refer back to the proposal for project details, scope, deliverables, etc. Yeah, no, I think that's brilliant. Actually, I think it's a great way to have something that you need to specify and then keep it out of the contract, which is all the legal change. That none of the legal stuff should ever change contract to contract that should all be the same um and it's the you're right that it's the project information that really should change and get specified um that is okay as long as your client has to like sign off on the project material uh, the project expectations like what the proposal you called it so as long as you have them like check something or sign off and say yes i agree to these terms and that's fine it's essentially like a two-part contract yeah. Um, no, that's so, a good yeah. way to think about it. I never thought about yeah. it like that, but wow, that is genius because that's what it is in 17 hats. They have to sign off on the proposal saying, I accept. They basically accept the quote and then you accept the contract. The reason I, I, I love, I love this even more now as, as we're really getting into the weeds on this is because I've seen a lot of web designers have proposals and contracts mixed together. And I think yeah. that's where clients really get scared off is if they see, the project details and deliverables mixed in with all the legal stuff. And then they see a big price and then they see like, you know, limited liability and warranty and all this stuff. I feel like that's where it can be a little, a little um, repulsive for clients sometimes if they're like, Oh my gosh, this is just like, this is making me nervous. Whereas if they see the deliverables, the proposal and they're like, yes, that looks good. Then here comes the fine print. Here's all the details. Most clients aren't even going to look at it, but the few who do, they'll be like, okay, the bases are covered. And then they move forward to the invoice and payment. That's, that yeah. was my system. Exactly. I think that, I think that's a great system. Awesome. Well, I'm glad because if you said that's not good, then I'd be like, crap, I'm going to have to revamp my business course. But I do, I can't wait to look at your contract when you have that ready, Anne, because I think we'll I'll probably add a lot of, uh, I'll refine mine, which at the time of recording this, I actually just started on uh, version 2.0 of my business course. I'm going to revamp it with tighten some things up, add a few new lessons and, and do uh, some new videos. Um, so yeah, the perfect timing. When, it, when is that coming out for you? Do you know when that resource is going to be available? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I can send it to you today. Okay. Yeah, Eric has a copy, but like, uh, you know, I'll put it up for sale on my website in a few oh, weeks. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Yeah, if you're a new listener, by the way, and you hear Eric, Eric is my CEO who took over my web design agency back in 2020. So I could teach full time. So if you ever hear Eric, uh, that's, that's who we're referencing. So we talked about like business entities. I'd love to shift maybe towards when you set your business up. I'm trying to even remember when I did in transit studios back in, I think 2010 is when I made it official October, 2010. I believe I just went to chase bank and I set up a business account and then they sent me, they sent a form to get my name officially, officially registered with the state of Ohio. And then they gave me an EIN number. And I think that's, that was all I did. I mean, is that base? Is that the basics pretty much? Yeah. You know, I have a take on this that's a little different from a few other people I've heard out there. Okay. Ooh, um, I'm excited. Hit me. Yeah. I don't think your business entities is the most important thing going, it, like getting to start it. Like, I'm amazed that you did that. Um, I don't, I think most people don't do that. And I don't think most people have to do that. Um, so when you start doing business on your own, just like you're like, okay, I'm going to open up a cake shop or a cupcake stand or a web design business. 
you're automatically a sole proprietor. So what that means is the government sees you and your business as one thing. You don't have to do anything additional to get started. Like whatever you make, you're going to get taxed at the same rate as if you were an individual. And so the benefit of that is that it's really easy. No forms fill out, no nothing, no registration. Like you can use your bank account. Like you can do, it's the same thing. Um, but the problem is say a few years down the line, you get sued for copyright infringement and a judgment is entered against you. Meaning a judge decides that you owe like $10,000, for example, for infringing on someone's copyright. Um, that means the judge can come out for your personal assets as well, because you and the business are one and the same. So if you have a car, they'll be like, okay, well you can sell your car to pay off that debt or whatever. Um, so that's the downside of it. Easy to get started, but potentially legally um, difficult. Um, and, and I should say ahead. too, like it, I didn't have like a divine epiphany saying like, I should get my own entity. I, I think I, somebody I talked to, I had a couple mentors back then to where they were in different businesses and they were just in my professional network. And I just yeah. let them know I, I was doing freelance for nearly a year or actually about a year and a half okay. as just, it was going into my personal account. And then, uh, that's when I was like, Oh, okay. I'm actually starting to make some money. And then one of them told me like, what if you get sued? Like they can come after your legal, like your stuff too. Just what you said, Ann. And I was like, oh, okay. And I think they even said like, just go to the chase and you can just open up like a, a DBA, a different entity for that. Because at that point, I don't even think I was technically, gosh, I don't even remember. Yeah. I don't even think I had set up as an LLC or an S corp at that point. That was later on that I eventually became an S corp. So I was a sole proprietor for the first several years. Okay. So that couple makes years. A that makes a ton of sense. Uh, that's what I recommend. I think that as soon as you start making some consistent revenue and, you know, I, I put that like at, if you're making like a thousand to $2,000 a month, like I would start the process of forming an LLC. Um, and the only reason I say that is because the LLC takes just a little bit more work. Um, you have to pay a fee on it in every state. It's different. Uh, it can range anywhere from a hundred dollars to like a thousand dollars. Um, where I live in California, it's the most expensive at like a thousand dollars a year. Um, but so if you're starting out, you just don't need that expense until you can, are really making money. And so that's why I say you don't, it's, I, I'm a big proponent when people get started with their businesses, like they should just get started with their business, focus on yeah. getting clients. Good I point. think, I forget where we, Josh, there was a podcast episode that you did and you, there was somebody that came on and they said like, you have like different levels of priorities and your first priority is about building profit. Um, and like, that's the first most important thing. And then after that, you can sort of develop your systems and things like that. And then focus on, I think the third point was like legacy. Um, oh, really Callowitz. he was just on recently. Yeah. Yeah. And so anyway, so that's something that I've always thought about, which is why like, I'm, I'm always like, okay, well first focus on getting clients. And then once you have like a steady stream of clients, then, then go into sort of the legal hassle of setting up an LLC, not hard, but still annoying to do. And I know most people don't think setting up a legal entity is their definition of fun. <laughs> I am so glad you said that. And this is why I was so excited to talk with you and why you make me feel warm and fuzzy about the legal stuff because how many lawyers say just start making money and then we'll worry about this. I feel like most lawyers are probably like, well, we need a five-year business plan and we need to get all of our ducks in a row. Like I'm sure there's that segment of the, of the industry that, uh, like you can literally prepare, prepare and plan and plan and plan and just never make a sale and you'll be able to business. You'll be out of business before you even get your feet off the ground. So, um, yeah. yeah, that's a great sentiment. And, and I do want to say too, one thing I was just thinking 
I didn't know I was going to really start a business. You, you know, most of my story, like I was just doing work on the side and I thought it'd be nice to get a job one day as a web designer or a designer. And yeah, it might be nice to do freelance for a while, but I had no intention of making it an actual business, which is probably why I took baby steps. I, I had everything funneling into my personal account and then realized, okay, I need to have some sort of separation here. So I did the DBA, sole proprietorship. And then I think it was a maybe two years later, I think 2012 was when I became an S Corp, I'm pretty sure. Uh, or maybe 13. And that's when I that's when it was like, oh, we're going, we're going for it now. Cause 2013 is when I made the decision to like go for it and go for six figures. So yeah. So, so I said say like it might depend, right? On on the where you're at. Yeah. So for whatever, for everyone listening, what Josh said about an S corp, it's an election that you could take after LLC and you do it for tax reasons to save more money on tax reasons. It only makes sense after you're after at like a certain income level, which I can't figure out exactly. I don't remember what it is off the top of my head. So totally makes sense. Josh, you're like, I want to be, I want to hit six figures. I want to get be an S corp. So I pay fewer taxes. Um, so that's definitely not something you need to worry about until you hit that six figure mark. Yeah. So, and I'm trying to remember in the beginning, I thought I went straight to an S corp because I oh, was really? at an income level. Cause my in transit was never an LLC. Josh Hall co actually started as an LLC. And then we just a couple of years ago, switched it over to an S corp, um, which I, that is not my area of expertise. I am so thankful that I have a CPA who really knows the tax laws well. And this is state dependent. So this is going to yeah. depend on the, the state you're in and the variables. So I don't, should, do we need to issue a disclaimer here? And do we need to say like uh, everything that I'm sharing, it may not work exactly for you depending on where you are in the world, but uh, the basics yeah. are the same, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, it's very, it's very, uh, dependent on state. Yeah. And country, like certain countries have, like we have EIN numbers. Most countries, I think outside of the U S have VAT numbers, VATs. When I first saw that, I was like, what in the hell is that? Somebody sent me an invoice. They were like, I need my VAT number on here. And I was like, what? What is that? What is a what is a VAT? I have no idea. Uh, I also so, have no uh, idea. I draw my line of expertise at U.S. law. Like I don't gotcha. really know much about international law. Gotcha. So wow, what a what a uh, potential area for you to be able to make some connections with uh, lawyer, web designers, and the EU and and elsewhere. That could be kind of cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> so. S Corp, LLC, uh, we don't need to dive too far into that because how, what, I guess what's the difference between what a lawyer would do and a CPA would do when oh, it comes really? to setting up those entities? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, honestly, a lot of this is something that's a lot of when we're talking about like different entities, um, the reason like as a lawyer, I can tell you, you know, it's probably better to have an LLC if you're making steady income because you're going to be um, you it prevent it protects your assets in terms of a conflict in the future with a potential client or something. So that's mm. how I'm like that you should form an LLC. An accountant or a CFO would say you should get an LLC for tax reasons. It's going to save you a lot of money. Um, there are attorneys that are tax attorneys. And so they specialize in that specific area. And so they're kind of a, they don't, I don't, they don't do the actual math they could tell you or to, um, but they can tell you how to set up the entity for tax benefits. So gotcha. that's the difference. Like I can be like, this is for a legal perspective. This is why you need an LLC and uh, a CFO or an accountant will tell you, okay, let's tell, you can save money too on taxes if you do it. So a tax attorney, do you, how far do you venture into the tax realm then, Anne? 
Do you consider yourself oh. a tax attorney or is tax strictly I, CPA kind of stuff? I think taxes, it's strictly C, uh, CPA. Yeah. It's kind of like web design too. Those things change so much. Like Chelsea, my CPA is always telling me like, Hey, there's something new going on in, uh, in Ohio. Or I know for a long time, I could not have an affiliate account with SiteGround because Ohio had some sort of online sale tax mm. for affiliate products. It was like Makes this sense. line item because I tried to sign up for SiteGround and they were like, we can't, it's not available in your region. Um, it's different now, but it's interesting. Like those things do do play a part in how we sell things online, potentially, even if we're selling all over the world. Um, right. So that's a good distinction. So tax versus like CPA versus a lawyer, tax accountant. Again, it kind of all blends together. I mean, what are the fees like? Let's say realistically, because I'm sure people who are getting started or maybe are early in the journey are like, okay, I need to firm this stuff up. What are we looking at? What's the investment for? Like, I don't know. It's tough to say exactly, but what would be like a ballpark range to be able to get web design business set up correctly? Uh, the, the number one thing you need is a contract. Um, and you can look, you can get a contract from a, like a legal template shop like mine or, or there are others as well. And so that should run you a couple hundred dollars. Um, and you know, that's, should be enough for you to get started. Um, and you don't need to do anything else. Uh, you know, understand intellectual property laws. Uh, you can Google around or maybe I'll make a YouTube video soon about it. Um, and so that is, you know, that's free and you can figure that out pretty easily, which is the baseline is don't use any images, content, fonts, anything that you don't have the right to use. So you don't need, it's not that complicated. Um, so that is that. And then if you want to have an attorney, you can hire an attorney on a per project or per hourly basis. I always recommend hiring attorneys on per project. Just try to negotiate with them if they're open to it to say, hey, I'm not going to do this like hourly thing. I feel like that co that creates a lot of client mistrust, I think, when you're being billed hourly because then you're like, oh, well, how much is this going to cost? Versus if somebody gave you the yeah. upfront flat, flat fee, you're like, okay, fine. I know exactly how much that's going to cost. I can afford it or not. And I'm moving on with my day. And just, yeah, I feel like it reduces a lot of stress for clients. So very, very beginning contract with all that in place. Yep. The next level up, if you wanted to start a bank account, get your uh, name, like your business name registered with the state and set up an LLC or an S corp, probably start with an LLC. What would that on average? So run? that really varies state to state. It could be, yeah. I would say it could be a couple hundred dollars to up to like a thousand. Um, depends on where you are living. Um, like I said, in California, it's pro it's about closer to a thousand. Um, and in other places I know it's closer to a hundred. So it really varies. Um, but again, I don't, I don't think you need to do any of that until you are you have at least a thousand to two thousand dollars in consistent income every month. Ah, th I did not think we were going to go here with this conversation, and I actually love your approach. I was, I was thinking like it might be like you need to have this and this and this and this and this and this, and I didn't want to overwhelm everybody, uh, particularly those getting started. So, what a breath of fresh air this is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, if you really wanted to be diligent, super diligent, you could take your contract template and have an attorney take a look at it and, mm. and see if you wanted to customize it. Um, that would, that should also cost like a couple hundred dollars for them to review it and make sure everything is, looks good. Gotcha. Gotcha. What about, uh, more established business owners? What are the things that we might need to 
refine? Like, are there gaps that you typically see with business owners where there's like a big liability? I mean, I would imagine the contract track thing is probably pretty common. Like, um, yeah, I haven't looked at my contract in 10 years, probably time to refine that and, and look at that. But are there any other gaps that you see that are missing typically for established business owners? contracts. So you want contracts, both with your clients, um, any kind of employees you have, um, you want contracts with like, uh, contractors, like any, like people who do work for you, things like that. That's something you should have in place. Uh, second, like business structures for tax purposes to see if there's any way you could be saving money on taxes. That's like really important. Like if there are any new laws or any new structures, like these things change all the time. Um, and so it's just important to keep abreast of those kind of things to save you money. And the third thing that I think is under discussed, but equally relevant is wills, right? Like it's important to think about like what happens to your business. Like if something happens to you tomorrow, you know, what happens to your family? Like remember to think about all of those things as well. I don't do trust in the States, which is what wills is, but that's, I think it's something to think about. And, you know, I'm, um, Josh, I think we're at the same age. We're both, uh, 30, I'm going to be 36 next month. Oh, uh, awesome. and so, I'm 36 now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I just remind all of my friends, especially when they're having kids, like, do you have a will in place? Uh, and I just think it's something to think about because we're, honestly, we're getting older and like anything can happen. You know, it's so funny you mentioned that. How timely. And I literally just last week had a talk with my financial advisor and we're getting some of that set up, not only on the personal front, but for the business. Um, this is where it's tricky with a personal brand because it's not easy for somebody to take over. Like I'm Josh. There's not another, there's not another Josh Hall. Now what I am working on in full transparencies are like entities under my personal brand that I could scale up and bring other people on if I wanted to, or could even be sellable. For example, web designer pro. The one reason I made that an entity of its own is it's, I am the founder. I run it. It's I'm doing all the work in it, but it is something that could evolve over time. So it's a good lesson learned. Like even if you have a personal brand, perhaps create services that are like entities or have something that you can have some, you can do something with in the case of death or in the case of retirement or selling or whatever it looks like. The reason I mentioned it was interesting that I just talked to my financial advisor is because she shared with me a story that was like devastating for, and this was true to my heart because I, my wife is a stay at home mom. She doesn't, you know, she couldn't take over the business. But in this case, her client passed away and he had a, I think it was a dentist. He had a dental business. The wife took it over because she had like the, all the shares that he had in the business, but she can't, she couldn't run it. And then they essentially had to sell it. And because no one knew like the, the, all the, the, the legal things involved with it, it basically sold super cheap. And she didn't get like barely any money after a lifetime of work of, of this guy building the dental practice. So right. timely reminder to get that stuff in place to make sure, I mean, that can, that's a whole separate conversation, I'm sure. But uh, what, talk with attorney to make sure you have your will and, and a plan for what happens in your business if you're not here kind of thing. Yeah. Protecting your legacy. Mm. Yeah. Because and you mentioned that's what Mike Michalowicz just talked about uh, a couple episodes back. It's you, you profit, you build the systems and then, yeah, the legacy, like what, what how far is this going to go? What's the plan? What's it going to do if you're not here? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it's, you know, when you're a business, when you're, especially when you're a small business, it's so entwined with your life, literally on a day-to-day -day basis. And in the grand scheme of things, it's just very different than if you're working for someone and you work for a corporation, then you don't have to think about succession planning yeah. for your business. It's fine. But like when it's your business, you do have to think about it. Is succession planning, is that the official term 
for it, yeah, it just it, it trusts and estates and wills. That's essentially what it's called. Gotcha. Trust gotcha. and estates. And I imagine that's very different for states, right? Is that different per yeah, state with all the legalities with that? Right. Especially um it affects questions about you different states handle marriage and money that comes in through marriage differently. And so it's important to think about. Gotcha. Um, something I'm actually, I just took a look over in web designer pro you, you had posted, uh, in there recently just to see if anyone had questions. Austin, actually a really good question that I wanted to, to bring up here, which is what about insurance? Um, Versus, I mean, I think pretty much everyone should at least have personal insurance, but what about business insurance in the case? I mean, I, I've never had an issue, but I guess this could come into play, I would imagine, with a lawsuit. But even if there's like a, a loss of information or uh, a breach of co- like contact details and, and stuff like that, privacy laws that gets into that, like, what? yeah, what, what's your thoughts on insurance for business? I'm going to classify insurance with things that I think you can get later. Um, like, I don't think it's something that you need immediately just because you're probably, if you're just starting out, then you probably don't have a lot of assets to protect yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you start making consistent income and, and, and certainly when you hit six figures, like it definitely starts to think about business insurance. And just like an example of why, what business insurance is, it covers you in the, in the event of like a lawsuit or some sort of natural disaster. Um, my parents are entrepreneurs. They run their own medical practices and we got hit by the hurricane this past, uh, fall. And so they're, you know, my dad's office was like pretty, uh, was almost destroyed by the hurricane. And so business insurance kicked in to help him pay for all the renovations. And so in that kind of case, then yeah, business insurance is really important. I don't think it's important immediately. So you don't have to worry about that, but you know, definitely something to think about as you progress in your career. Um, Mm, business insurance is definitely something like a financial advisor could help more about, or like an insurance broker, you can get quotes from them about how much everything should be. Um, and so that's, that's not as much legal as it is a business uh, strategy choice. Gotcha. You know what? I just had this thought. It's funny. I used to always like clients used to drive me crazy when they would think I would be the social media guy and the digital marketing and I would be the videographer and do all these other things. But I kind of relate to them in this sense and feel for them because when I think about financial advisor, tax attorney, lawyer, I, they all blend together in my mind too. So I don't really know like where it's, I, I have much better feel for that now, but in the beginning, my gosh, I had no idea if I should talk to a lawyer or a CPA yeah. or or a financial advisor. So it does seem like on the outside, those all tend to blend together a little bit. Yeah. And the best way I can explain it is that a lawyer will help prevent you from getting sued and deal with a lawsuit. A tax professional, like a a CPA will help you save money in taxes. And a financial advisor is there to really figure out, okay, how to invest whatever you're making from your business or your job and how to grow that wealth through investments. Gotcha. Great distinction. What a great little... What a great little distinction. We're going to clip that one out because that's a, a perfect visual for the, for the three different buckets there. Um, yeah. yeah, All gotcha. important, but there are different jobs. And I don't recommend that. The, it's very hard for the same person. As, I've never met someone who does all three because all of those are pretty detailed areas of expertise. So it's hard to develop that expertise in all of them. Like, you know, I know I know something about taxes, but like, I don't know that much about taxes. Uh, and I know, no, I know something about investments, but not nothing like super detailed. Yeah. 
kind of, it's like a, like a web designer. It's like, well, I know a lot about copywriting, but I don't know that much about SEO. So we'll do the basics, but talk to an SEO person to, to really go to the next step. It's kind of the same. Uh, yeah. yeah. A lot of parallels there. Right. Uh, in web designer pro as well, Dan had asked another great question, um, which we've all, we've already talked a lot about examples of mistakes to avoid. I think in some cases in regards to contract, copyright images, things like that. Um, do you have a real life story about a company that was hit? If you have a web designer story, that'd be amazing. But are there some examples of like how some of what we talked about, if they don't have it in place, how that's actually come back to, to, to be a lawsuit or something, because I don't personally know anyone who's been sued as a web designer. And I did have a client threaten me once, which I'm happy to share about. He was kind of an idiot anyway, but, um, it was, it was, a, it was a, it was a cheap threat. Like there was no grounds for him to actually sue me for something. So do you have any stories about like lawsuits for creatives or designers or anything? I don't have any stories. Um, I was listening to Elizabeth McGravy. Uh, she was on your podcast a few episodes ago and she has her own like, uh, web designer course. And so we, I was listening to that course and she talks about how the instances when she had to confront people who she felt was like copying on, uh, copying her designs. Um, and so what was interesting about that is that in a lot of those cases, people were not intentionally doing it, but like whatever they produced looked very similar to, um, her work too. And so she had really good advice, you know, first of all, take it to someone who's objective about it, like show them the two things and say, Hey, do you see a similarity or am I reading a lot into this? And then two, approach it from a level headed manner and be like, Hey, I don't know if you realize this, but like, this looks like it's copied a lot. And so, you know, make it in a friendly way and just be like, I don't assume that they don't know that they, that they copied it. Uh, or they, they assume that they don't see the similarity and it was inadvertent. And would that um, and be so, just a cease and desist, like a, a letter with like a... Well, Elizabeth was explaining that it would be like a an email that she sent that was like a friendly email. Um, you know, and if things need to escalate, you can escalate from there. Um, but start from the premise that this is more of an accident than, and than anything. So can I sue all of my students and everyone at Web Designer Pro for building websites that are made off of my designs. Do I have legal? I'm not going to do that. Of course. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, Josh, I don't <laughs> it's a think a little different can. for like course creators. If it's <laughs> right. like, Hey, use this template, right? Yeah. If you, if it's use this template, then you absolutely cannot. Yeah. <laughs> like if but if it is part like, of the course, no, if it's like, wow, you really ripped that one off. Didn't you? Cause there is, I mean, all knowledge is borrowed. All design is borrowed in a way, but it's, um, who, said that reason. I think it was Chris Doe who recently said, who's a great follow on Instagram. If anyone hasn't followed him trying to get him on the podcast, by the way. Um, but he had something where he said, best, the best designers don't copy a one design completely. They take like the best aspects that they like of multiple designs and make it their own. And I wholeheartedly agree with that sentiment. Like, yeah, you can look at a site and be like, Ooh, I like the buttons there. Let me use that on this. And then if you make it your own and use some other elements, it's going to look completely different. Um, but yeah. it's that like blatant, actually funny. You mentioned that. I, I remember, I think it's still up there. If you, if you search manually, migrate WordPress, um, there was some guy who made a video that looked awfully similar to mine. Oh yeah. It's literally, I, he literally, I, it's still on there. Um, if you search manly migrate WordPress. Now I changed my artwork a while back, but he literally took the exact design of my thumbnail, uh, like yeah. font and everything. Uh, so I guess I could, I mean, it's not something I charge for, so I don't know what the legal grounds would be 
for that, but I guess I would potentially probably have the right to say like, Hey, you ripped off my artwork almost completely here. Yeah, you definitely do. The question I would ask you, is it worth your time? Yeah. I was just going to say, I'm totally not going to do it because it's not worth my time, but um, it is interesting. Like the, I, I guess what, what legal stance we have in certain cases, it's like, when are you in the right? And then I guess the question is, when is it worth it? I mean, I do think there's a certain type of person who sues and I don't know if I'm friends with those type of people, unless there is a very, very good reason for it. Um, Cause there are people who just tend to sue because they just, it's like part of their income streams from, from what I've seen. I know some people <laughs> like that. Uh, and I know they've been known. Like I, there was somebody in the music business when I was a part of that. He was kind of known to like sue artists and he was a scumbag basically. Like, um, yeah. So anyway, I don't mean to take us off on a tangent, but it's kind of interesting to know, like, when do you have the right to potentially take law, law action, legal action? And when do you just not want to waste the time? Yeah. It, you know, it, I think it is a really good point. And I, I think something I want to make clear is that there is a distinction between legal choices and the business strategy choices. Like I'm mm. always encouraging people to build their businesses to make sure legal supports business um, and don't put legal front and center. And maybe that sounds kind of strange, but like, you know, I want you to make money and I want you to make profit first before you think about like how you're going to spend that money on legal fees. Um, and so, yeah, Josh, maybe, maybe you do want to go after this guy. Maybe you want to hire a lawyer and send a cease and desist letter, or maybe you're like, you know, I don't really care. I don't really think this is taking away from my revenue that much. I have better things to do. I, you know, I could use that time to actually make more money. And so why is this a good use of my time? So I don't know. It, it's, it's a hard thing to like, some people are like on principle, I want to challenge this. And like, if that's what's important to you, then go for it. But like, it is something to think about, like everything in business, like there's an opportunity cost to every hour we decide to do something. So saying yes to something means saying no to something else. And what do you want to do? You have a limited amount yeah. of time in every week. Now, this does bring me to an interesting case study that I had happen a couple of years back when uh, my business course got ripped off. Somebody purchased the course, ripped it off and distributed it online on one of these networks that just kick out. I mean, basically, this is one thing I've learned as a course creator. So heads up, if anyone creates a course, it is probably going to get ripped off. That's the unfortunate truth of it. Like almost everybody, there's these like these wild sites that basically if you if if your information gets on one, they just distribute out to others. And then what happened was I I took Elizabeth's approach initially and just sent emails and said, take this down immediately or I'll pursue legal actions. Um, it just kept on popping up on different sites. And then what I ended up doing was I I hired a company called Takedown Czar for, I think I was using them for about a year. They were essentially the mediary. Like that's what they do. They take down copyrighted uh, or copywritten material from all these sites. However, it was never a hundred percent. And I w that's why like if you Google something and you'll see like um, a couple listings were uh, copyrighted infringements or something like that. That was the case for my business course for, for a while is if you Googled it, there were sites that were coming up on the first page and, an SEO strategy I did, Michelle helped me out with this, is I don't know if you remember this, Anne, but I, I did this in Web Designer Pro when it was called The Club uh, last year, a couple of years ago. I had a bunch of my students who were in that course do a blog post. So shout out to all my students who did that for me because it worked. Everyone created a blog post about the web design business course and shared their own personal insights. And that literally 
bumped the scammer sites down to page two and three and four, et cetera. So that strategy worked, but I still had to hire. I mean, that company, I was paying 300 bucks a month for like a year just for that course. Uh, so it's over $3,000 a year just to get that taken down. Yeah. I mean that Josh, I think that's a great example of, you know, using a business strategy choice to solve a legal issue rather than just focusing on the legal because that ultimately the SEO thing was more effective, right? That then it would have been to like go after these people. It would have cost you thousands in legal fees to actually done it. I mean, you could uh, potentially do it, but like with the internet, there's always a risk that you're your IP is going to get leaked out. I just think that's like a factor you need to be like, okay, I can't control all of it. Like a certain amount is going to leak. And then the rest of it, you try to maximize on getting the profits and through, um, and through like, I think a big value of your club and a lot of courses is the ability to be on calls and things like that. I think that's what people are paying for. I mean, the course material is definitely helpful, but to be able to get on a call with you and do a Q and A and to ask, Hey, I have a question about this. Like, I think that's really valuable. And that's, you know, it, you can rip off the course materials, but like you're not getting that, uh, strategic advice and support. So. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's so funny. You mentioned that I've had a couple conversations about that with people who are, are in similar roles as like coaches or course creators or community builders. It's like, yeah, people could, pretty easily rip off any course, but what they can't rip off is coaching and, uh, the call, like the live calls and stuff like that. You're totally right. So I guess that's worthwhile too. Like what services can you create? Even if you go the templated route that can be protected and, and from a strategy sense. So I, I love that you're making a really good distinction and between business strategy versus just lawsuits. Because in my cases, I kind of did a hybrid approach. I was paying that company to take them down, although I never pursued legal action. Um, but I did pay a company to take it, take care of that end of things as much as possible for a while and use business strategy to, 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 you know, to, to try to help mitigate that a little bit. So yeah, I guess there's a lot of options if you have something that gets ripped off. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I know this is really silly, but I have this account and I have I have this I have a relationship blog. That's like how I got started in all of this. Um, and I have someone who sort of copies content that I put forward. Like if I do something, then she'll do something. And at first I was like quite irritated by it, but then I decided that, you know, the, um, imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. And I'm just like, this is it's just part and parcel of the job. Like you have yeah. to create keep you have to continue to keep a create content. You have to build your followers. You have to build that community and keep them engaged. Like that's the mark that you're going to be evaluated against. You're not going to be evaluated against the people who are copying you or stealing your stuff. And like, you know, that sucks, but like, that's like being, that's learning to deal with that emotionally is like kind of learning to deal with all the haters out there. Like the yeah. first time I got a troll, I felt really important. Like I was like, finally, someone cares <laughs> about me. It. Like finally I made it. it. But like, that's, you know, that is, the thing that you need to be prepared for like you cannot put stuff out online without expecting uh like negative comments or trolls or whatever and like just got to factor that in part and parcel keep going no one cares you're not going to get no one's going to keeping a list of like oh and got like so many comments on trolls or whatever like no one cares yeah. like just continue making content that's so funny you mentioned that. Yeah, it's kind of the uh, it's the joke of of any sort of influencer or any notoriety online. It's like as soon as you start getting haters, you you're starting to make it because if you don't get any hate, then it's like, well, what do you what do you, you know? Maybe you're at a lower level. It's just not worthwhile somebody doing that. So in a weird way, it's a compliment. Yeah, um, I actually found this out too. I remember 
uh, I was on the Smart Passive Income podcast with Pat Flynn a couple of years back. It was the first time I got connected with him. And they published this article that was about my story and how some of Pat's courses helped me. And we looked at it later, not much later, like maybe a couple of weeks later. And there was all of these jank sites that ripped the story off, but they would change certain details. So for example, one article, I might look it up because it might still be live. Instead of Josh Hall, it was Josh Corridor. So they would take, <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that so stupid? Like they would take the terms like, it, I don't know for you. I don't know. Um, I don't know what would go with Capuza, but um, it, it would take like a name or a term and then it would just shift it. Like they, they could choose and, so, and something like that. It could be like hallway or, or something like that. That would be similar, but a little bit different. I don't know. I don't understand these scammy sites. I guess it's just traffic and clicks for like, sense of ad money i don't know but uh let me look it up real quick so wait what were they they would take that article post on their website and then what i don't understand like what was the how yeah, did they get so, clicks on it so smart passive income is is where that story was and i just remember seeing success story a web design okay so the actual article let me actually we're gonna do a live case study here for anyone listening or watching sorry here but we're gonna do this live to see if this is helpful for everybody. So it was a, uh, a web designer who's changing lives success story with Josh Hall. And let's see here. I just Googled that to see, I forget what term we found that, but it was literally the same article just duplicated across a ton of different sites. And then one of them, I just remember it said Josh corridor. Uh, oh, okay. It's just straight up copy content, straight copy. up copy. Images, okay. text, just different URL, and they would change a few of those details. Yeah, uh, Elizabeth was saying the same thing happened to her. People would copy her blog posts, and people would um, cop even take her testimonials and just like change the name Elizabeth and put something mm. else. Um, and so I didn't realize that it happens. It's not surprising to me. Um, again, I I guess my philosophy is like when I think about my work and. This is, this is what I think about when I think about my work is that like my job is to like keep innovating, like their job is to copy and my job is to innovate. And like, mm. I don't have time to like sit there and like go after every little, it's like whack-a-mole, right? Like you're going to hit yeah. one and there's going to be 10 more. Like, it's not the best use of your time. Like it's annoying. It sucks. It's unfair. Like all of these things, but like, that's not how you make money, right? Like going after these people is not really how you make money. And so just focus on the revenue is my, is my bottom line. <laughs> that is such a great sentiment there. And I absolutely love that. Yes. It, it does get to the point where it's like, I think in my case with the business course, it was my number one selling course. And it was probably potentially taking a big chunk of income if it's showing up on Google. So that was one case where I was like, okay, I've got to take yeah. some action. The first step right. was to hire that company, which did help. Probably got yeah. like 90% of, of the sites, but they just pop out like roaches. Um, the next step would have been lawsuit. That's, that's, and potentially, I guess there's no exact answer for this, but I imagine it would just depend on like, well, how much is this worth? Is if a business, if my business course is worth like $50,000 a year, then it's probably going to be worthwhile taking some sort of action. If it's going to be worth something that's like $10,000, I don't know. Can you, put that time to better use probably. So uh, I guess it just kind of depends on the yeah, on and lawyer fees, right? Like lawyers are oh, not yeah. expensive. Um, and so 
or not inexpensive. So you, to, to, you'd have to hire a lawyer to do all that. And I guarantee that's going to be thousands of dollars. And most people don't like spending money on lawyers. It's not like a fun thing. And so, you know, yeah, I don't, it's really, it's a tough spot to be in, but like, but Josh, I think you changed your business model, right? So like now people aren't just paying for the courses, they're paying for the membership. So it's not like, uh, okay, it's both they- as, as of right now, it's both. You can do the courses one off, but with web designer pro it's the community and the coaching along with the courses and moving forward, there's going to be a lot of stuff that's exclusively in web designer pro just, and one of the main reasons, there's a lot of reasons I did. I did a podcast a little while ago on why I made that uh, shift and, and the reasons for it. A lot of it is also because I want to be able to control the variables more mm-hmm. and, and I just want to get better results for people. And I've found the people who have the, big, the three big C's coaching, community and courses tend to get the best results. So, um, yeah, as of right now, they can still do that, but that has already helped. I feel like, I, I feel like that's already just, I mean, you could potentially rip something out from circle too. Um, cause I think, in the case of the course that got ripped off, that was mostly screenshots. I don't think like I had it set to where you can't download the videos. Um, I think an advanced dev could probably get into the code if they view source and find it, but we did have some risk mitigation on that stuff. Uh, but yeah, it was like screenshots and stuff. But again, you're right. It's like, is this worth it? Is my time better spent going after this or is it better spent making something new and helping people? So I, I, yeah. I love that you shared that thought. And you just changed like the way you're changing your business compensates for some of that like IP risk of someone stealing it, right? Like, okay, even if someone steals your your thing now, your course, like you have like this membership going and that's like important to your business. And so that is, people can't copy that part about it. Like they can't copy the membership, like either they're in the membership or they're not. So it's, you know, I think courses are important. I think it's critical, but like there are also other ways to monetize besides that. What are your thoughts on trademarks? Because I have Web Designer Pro trademarked. Um, is that something you do as a lawyer? I use Trademarkia, a site that's similar to like LegalZoom to where I just went through them. And and like, what are your thoughts on trademarks and how that works? Yeah, I think trademarks is something, again, that's something a little bit more advanced. Um, you know, when you start your business and when I started my business, I did like a quick Google search and I went into the um, like pat- US Patent Trade Office just to make sure no one was using, no one in my industry was using my name because I didn't want to get like years down the line to building a brand and then be like, oh man, someone else already trademarked it. Um, and so you could start out doing, you could start out trademarking it, but I think especially in your first few years, Years of business, like lots of things change. Like maybe your name is going to change. Maybe your niche is going to change, whatever. Like I think that's why it's, I focus on get the business foundations fundamentals right. And then after that, like once you are like, okay, this is like a solid ground. This is how I'm running. Then go in and trademark things um, because you have a better sense of how this is evolving. And, you know, there are trademarking is like a little bit more expensive. I don't know how much it costs for you to go through trademarkia. Um, but to it, hire was like a lawyer, four, it was like 400. It wasn't too bad. It was only 400 for just U.S. So I did not trademark it for other countries. Um, so if there's a web designer pro in Germany. Best, best of luck to you. Uh, I guess, I guess somebody could do that, but, uh, stateside at least, yeah, it was like $400 per country. I think there were some other reviews associated with it, but it was, I think it was altogether less than 600 or something like that. Okay. Yeah. So sometimes it could be around a thousand. Um, so if you want to go ahead and do that, go for it. But like things are probably going to change. Like last yeah. year, like the name I use was a little bit different than the name I ultimately am going for. And so 
I'm glad I'm waiting to do that uh, just because you need to figure out a lot of things about your client and customer. And I, I don't, I think that part of like figuring out who you're serving, how you're messaging them, what you're providing is um, more difficult than it seems. Yes, totally agree. Well, speaking of your brand, I'd love to wrap this up by uh, having you and share like where you would like people to connect with you. I know um, you're going to be speaking at Web Designer Pro here in May of 2023 for uh, a monthly training or no, I'm sorry, April. We're doing it this uh, next month here in April, 2023. Um, so yeah, where would you, we'll talk about that, but where would you like people to go uh, to connect yes. with you and maybe to get some resources? You can find me at powerhouse-legal.com. Um, and so that's my main legal website. And if you go to powerhouse-legal uh, forward slash resources, it'll be all linked in Josh's show notes. Um, you can get a lot of free resources. And so one of the free resources I created for this podcast is um, a list of contract, like three non-obvious uh, contract provisions that you should have. And so what they are and why they're important. Um, and so that's like, I think it's a pretty helpful resource, but I'm looking forward to creating a lot of resources for small business uh, owners. Like one something I'm focusing on right now is figuring out um, how to price yourself well. So trying to put mm. up a um, a list of what things you need to think about when you're looking at pricing. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I just, I just remember that you have two sites, essentially you have powerhouse dash strategy and then powerhouse dash legal. Do you separate those two intentionally to separate things from the web designer you versus the, the lawyer you? Yes, exactly. And also for legal liability reasons, powerhouse mm. legal, um, is my, legal services. And so that's just very different from my web design work, which I specifically focus on with authors, podcasters, and thought leaders. And so it's just different markets and different, um, different liability. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And we'll have all those resources linked in the show notes for everybody. Um, yeah. Awesome stuff. And I, again, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, I know we're just hitting the high level stuff, which is why I'm excited to have you do a training web designer pro because you'll have a little more of a condensed training that's visual. And then we'll do a live Q and a for everyone who wants to join web designer pro. Um, but yeah, I mean, we really covered a lot of good ground here from the contracts, the copyright stuff, some, some personal side of things. I think with both of our journeys, it's kind of industry uh, interesting. I also just love your approach to just get business going and then worry about the legal stuff as, as, as needed almost like as, as it comes along the line, because yeah, you're right. If you just plan and prepare and plan and prepare and never sell, you're going to be out of business before you even make any money and pay for the legal fees. So and uh, things it was, can change. Yeah. Things change yes. when you start yeah. getting out there and marketing your product. Like I know, Josh, you've had evolutions. I've had evolutions. And I have never met a business owner, any entrepreneur who hasn't pivoted their business in at least either a small way and most often in a pretty significant way. Um, and so it's just something to think about. That's a great point. When pivoting may be rebranding the name like I did with Web Designer Pro, rebranding the offer. It may be selling a business like I did with Intransit Studios. It may be exiting a business if you're just done with the industry. It, there's a lot of different things that could happen. So I do, I do feel like, I don't know if there's an ideal time to take the legal stuff seriously, whether it's revenue-based, but I, I do feel like if you are getting serious about a business, in my mind, my recommendation as somebody who's not a lawyer, but somebody who's been in business for four, almost 14 years, you you should definitely think about getting this stuff in place a few years in, especially yeah, if you're starting definitely. to make some money, I would say. You know, my, my rough estimate, I would say to really take all this legal stuff seriously is when you're making like, if I were to say, if you're making like 
a consistent income of $5,000 a month, you need to start thinking about all this legal stuff much more seriously. Um, and so for, I think for a lot of people that could be a year in, that could be two years in, like, I don't know exactly where that falls, but like, those are general benchmarks to think about, um, of trying to think about whether you need to set up an LLC, whether you need to really look at your taxes, like, um, having a good trust in estates and wills plan in case anything happens, like, you know, it's something to think about. We got to become business adults at some point. I guess that's the moral of the story. <laughs> yeah. It is, it is a new tagline for you and you will help people become business adults. Um, <laughs> there we go. And we're ready to rock. Well, Anne, thank you so much. This was fun. Legal, a legal talk that was fun. Can you believe it, everybody? This was great. And we'll make sure we have everything uh, linked to your site over at Powerhouse. That's legal. We'll have all the, the show notes linked here for this episode. So uh, can't wait to see you here. We're recording this at the end of March, but I'll see you here uh, next month in pro. So, Anne, thank you for your time. Maybe we'll have another follow-up discussion to get further into some of the uh, entity stuff or... Uh, or, or whatever you're, whatever you're pivoting towards in the future as well. So yeah, thank you for your time today. Thanks, Josh. Well, there we go, friends. There we have it. A fun, engaging, and a, dare I say, empowering conversation about the legals of website design. Uh, and uh, I think you'll agree with me in saying that she is awesome. I just absolutely love her approach. It's very counterintuitive to the majority of lawyers that I've met in my experience and uh, I really am so happy and glad that she's in my corner now as my preferred lawyer for all things web design. So again, we just talked about this, but uh, she is going to be doing a live pro training in Web Designer Pro. That's my online web design community uh, in April here of 2023. It's uh, So if you're catching this right during the week, this episode comes out, you can join us in pro to watch that live. If you join after April 18th, when she's doing the presentation, you can always watch the replay, but I would encourage you to join because you can ask her the questions live that you have with setting up your business and refining your business correctly. Again, I recommend checking Ann out. You can go to her website, powerhouse-legal.com. You can also search at powerhouse legal on the socials to connect with her. Let her know you heard this episode on the Web Design Business Podcast. Let her know what you think of it. And we did mention a ton of resources in this episode, including some resources that she's going to have for you guys that are free that you can check out. Those will all be linked at the show notes for this episode at joshhall.co slash 254. So head there after this. Thanks for joining. See you on the next episode. <laughs>